This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator Podcast, Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It's Wednesday. We are back with more neurology review. Uh, Daphne, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Cool. So, um, okay. So today we are picking up where we left off, and we're talking about mm-hmm. Arnold Chiari malformation. Um, so, Arnold Chiari malformation is a is caused by a defect in primary neurulation and what exactly is happening um basically you have uh content from the brain that is herniating through the foramen magnum and sort of this is the the gross description we have two types so in type one which is type one arnold which is the most common form it presents in childhood and early adulthood and nothing really is herniating. It's just a caudal displacement of the cerebellar tonsils below the foramen magnum. Uh, the fourth ventricle and the brainstem are always in normal position, and it's often associated with syringomyelia, a cyst within the spinal cord, or hydromyelia, a dilation of the canal by CSF, and it can also be associated with uh, skeletal anomalies like scoliosis, which is most common, right? So just a little, a little displacement of the cerebellar tonsils, but everything else sort of where it should be. That's type 1, thankfully the most common one. Then you could have type 2, which is more concerning. Um, and this is, there's more extensive abnormality. And you have elongation and caudal displacement into the cervical canal of the cerebellar tonsils, the fourth ventricle, the cord plexus, and the brainstem. It is often associated with hydrocephalus and myelomeningocele. And that's all we need to know about Arnold Chiari. Consult your friendly neurologist and neurosurgical team. Um, I can do the next one, I guess, because it's kind mm-hmm. of related. Right. So uh, the, next, the next topic of discussion is Dandy Walker. Dandy Walker malformation is um, um, it's occurring very early in the neurological development phase, usually by the sixth to seventh week in the embryologic phase. And Dandy Walker malformation is a distinct entity from an Arnold Chiari malformation. A dendin walker malformation consists of basically agenesis or hypoplasia of the cerebellar, the cerebellar vermis and cystic dilation of the fourth ventricle and enlargement of the posterior fossa. If you see an MRI of a baby with Andy Walker, it almost seems like the cerebellum has been replaced by just fluid. I know that's not what we just described, but this is what the image really looks like. And the malformation is highly associated with hydrocephalus. It is linked to other CNS anomalies and has been associated with an increased risk of motor and cognitive delay. Okay, carrying on. Now we're going to get into this really prosencephalic uh, abnormalities. 
So the first is aprosencephaly. It has the word prosencephaly in it. <laughs> it is abnormal development during the prosencephalic stage in formation in which there is absence of telencephalon and diencephalon with a porencephalic remnant. So what, what really happens is there is minimal cranial volume because maldevelopment occurs late. Um, they will have intact skull, hair, and the dermal coverings, unlike patients with anencephaly, but the brain tissue is still affected. They may have cyclopia or absence of the eyes. They may have associated anomalies of the external genitalia and the limbs. And it is thought to have an autosomal recessive inheritance. So this is like the most severe form of kind of maldevelopment during the prosencephalic stage. Then you can have holoprosencephaly or holoprosencephalic sequence. Again, it's abnormal development during the prosencephalic stage in which there's a primary defect in cleavage as opposed to the primary defect in formation, which is seen in aprosencephaly. The epidemiology is one in 8,000 with a recurrence risk of 8% um, if it's sporadic, non-chromosomal, and non-syndromic. There's an increased risk in offspring of diabetic mothers. Familial recurrences have been described. Um, so family members may have kind of subtle features, ocular hypotelarism, mid-facial abnormalities, microcephaly, mental deficiency, and a single maxillary central incisor. Holoprosencephaly is associated uh, in 30 to 50% with chromosomal abnormalities, in particular trisomy 13. 50% have extracranial abnormalities, things like myelomeningocele, renal malformations, congenital heart disease, and polydactyly. And there are four types. <clears throat> I'm going to venture to say the types are less important on the test, but I mean, they are here for our review. Um, the malformations I'll discuss are from mild to severe. The first is the middle interhemispheric variant, MIHV. And what happens is there's a non-separation of the posterior aspects of the frontal lobe and the parietal lobes. So the corpus callosum uh, may be absent. There may be cortical dysplasia. And there's fusion of the thalami and the caudate nuclei. And what you see uh, clinically is hypotelarism, sharp nasal bridge, a single maxillary central incisor. Now in the lobar type, there's non-separation of the basal aspects of the frontal lobe. And so the corpus callosum is absent in the affected region, and it's often associated with hypoplastic olfactory bulbs. Clinically, you see hypotelism, a flattened nasal bridge, closely spaced nostrils. The semi-lobar type, non-separation of the frontal lobes. Uh, the corpus callosum has an absent anterior portion, absent or hypoplastic olfactory bulbs, fused deep gray nuclei, absent anterior horns, and absent septum pellucidum. You have severe hypotelarism, a flat nasal bridge, often associated with cleft lip and palate and colobomas. And then the most severe type A lobar, 
is basically cortical non-separation. And uh, the MRI finding is pretty impressive. Uh, there's very little brain tissue. Uh, most of it is the kind of frontal lobe. Um, grossly abnormal brain, single-shaped cerebral, cerebral structure with a common large central ventricle, absence of the corpus callosum, a membranous roof over the third ventricle, absence of the olfactory bulbs, optic nerve hypoplasia, and no development of the supralimbic cortex. These patients uh, may have cyclopia and a rudimentary nasal structure. Other clinical findings for these patients, apnea, seizures, abnormalities in the hypothalamic functions like temperature, stability, instability, diabetes insipidus, uh, SIADH, mental deficiency if long-term survival uh, in the more mild forms. The management is really to evaluate for extracranial abnormalities, chromosome analysis, take a family history, um, and if the, the patient uh, is doing well in the mild forms and survive uh, to do a thorough endocrine assessment. The prognosis is extremely poor unless it is the very mild form. The next thing we're going to talk, I guess we, I can, I have time to talk about a genesis of the corpus callosum and then we can do some questions. Yeah. How about you do corpus callosum and septum pellucidum? Sure. I can Paul, do that. Why don't we finish this page? <laughs> okay. All right, a genesis of the corpus callosum is something that, um, all right, the name says it all, but it leads, it's, it's coming from abnormal development during the prosencephalic stage in which there is a defect in midline development. It's affecting 0.3 to 0.7% of infants. And the cause of it is largely unknown. There's some, some genetic association that have been reported, but there's nothing really, uh, high yield that we should remember when it comes to that. Um, early fetal infection in, in pregnancy or exposure to alcohol have sometime been uh, associated with the uh, agenesis of corpus callosum. Now, as you probably know, and if you've dealt with this in the NICU, there's, diagnosis is usually made much later because it's, it's quite, unless you know ahead of time, there's not much presentation when it comes to the neonatal uh, phase. So typically diagnosed at the age of two years, it's associated with other neurological malformations, sometimes like Dendy Walker, holoposencephaly. It has uh, sometimes been associated with facial anomalies, congenital heart disease, metabolic disorders, intrauterine infections, trisomy 8, 13, and 18, uh, Zellweger syndrome, and uh, Acardi syndrome. Now, because of, uh, of that defect, they may have seizures, feeding difficulties, and developmental delays. The management really involves um, looking for fetal anomalies, both intracranial and extracranial, doing some chromosome analysis, confirming the diagnosis with MRI, and just providing supportive care. In terms of the prognosis, if parents ask, well, really, there is an increased risk of having neurodevelopmental abnormalities, um, especially if you have the presence of seizures. If it's just an isolated finding, it's really unclear, uh, and they may have normal development, but um, there is an increased risk of seizure later in life. In terms of agenesis or absence of the septum pellucidum, so um, the septum pellucidum, if, you're, uh, if you need some help, is the double thin vertical membrane separating the anterior horns 
of the left and the right ventricle, which basically allows us to say that there's a, a right IVH versus not a left IVH, that the septum pellucidum is really that barrier. The cavum septum pellucidum is the potential space in between this double membrane, right? So uh, a bit like the, 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 the pleura and the pericardium, like, like two thin membranes that are adjacent to one another, there's a space in between. That's the cavum septum pellucidum. Now, the absence of uh, the septum pellucidum is associated with learning disabilities, vision problems, seizures, behavioral issues, and the finding of septo-optic dysplasia. If, the, if there's an absence of the septum pellucidum, you should provide supportive care based on clinical presentation, and the prognosis is really dependent on why uh, you have that uh, absence of the, of the septum pellucidum. Finally, the last thing we'll talk about today is septo-optic dysplasia. It's a rare pathology. It's diagnosed when you have two of the following three features, which are optic nerve hypoplasia, pituitary gland dysfunction, and absence of the septum pellucidum. So optic nerve hypoplasia, pituitary gland dysfunction, and absence of the septum pellucidum. Two out of three makes the diagnosis of SOD, septo-optic dysplasia. The clinical presentation may include nystagmus, vision impairment, uh, possibility also of complete blindness, hypopituitarism, typically manifested as growth hormone deficiency, and signs-slash-symptoms ascribed to the absence of septum pellucidum, which, again, um, vision problems, seizures, behavioral issues, and so on. The MRI can aid in the diagnosis, and supportive care is warranted based on the presentation. That's it. Do you have a question for us? Of course I do. <laughs> so this is neurology question 37. I think, yes. Neurology question 37. Arnold Chiari malformation and Dandy Walker syndrome are both congenital abnormalities of the posterior fossa. Which of the following is a feature of Arnold Chiari malformation and not Dandy Walker syndrome? A, enlargement of the fourth ventricle. B, herniation of the cerebellar tonsils, C, posterior fossa cyst, D, unsteadiness and discoordination as a result of cerebellar dysfunction, E, vermian hypoplasia or aplasia. They are similar but not the same. Yeah, it's tricky, huh? So uh, we remember that um, Arnold Chiari is when you have the displacement slash herniation of the cerebellar tonsils, right? Mm -hmm. And we said that Dandy Walker is um, Dandy Walker is when you have the uh, posterior fossa cyst and when um, you have uh, agenesis of the or hypoplasia of the cere cerebellar vermis. That's E. E is, e is Dandy Walker. Unsteadiness and discoordination, you know, I think both of these things um, could be present uh, in, uh, in uh, that's, this can be present in Dandy Walker as well. The posterior fossa cyst, we said that, that on MRI, it looks like it's just a ball of fluid over there. And then enlargement of the fourth, fourth ventricle, that's also a feature of Dandy Walker. So it's, it's B. The answer is B. It's herniation of the cerebellar tonsils. <clears throat> that's correct. That's correct. So that's the difference. Arnold Carrier, one of the difference. Arnold Chiari malformation is a structural abnormality in the cerebellum 
caused by primary neurulation defect. The hallmark of the malformation is caudal displacement of the cerebellum below the foramen magnum. And I've told you this before, but you didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. Uh, there was hey, a, Arnold. Hey, Arnold. hey Arnold, there's a Nickelodeon show and I know about hey Arnold. Arnold's head is a football, but it's not an equal football. It's kind of downward shaped. <laughs> so that's how I remember that Arnold okay. is the, the thing is the caudal displacement. So downward displacement of the cerebellum through the form frame magnum. Um, there can be other associated findings, as we have described. There are four types of Arnold Chiari malformation, which are determined by the extent um, of other findings. Symptoms include neck pain, weakness, numbness, vision or hearing problems, lack of coordination or balance, headache, and impaired motor skills. Uh, symptom severity corresponds to the extent of the lesion. And surgical correction with posterior fossa decompression and shunting can be curative, though some symptoms may persist, okay? And then Dandy Walker syndrome is a different congenital abnormality of the cerebellum, um, which you told us about. Features include enlargement of the fourth ventricle, complete or partial absence of the cerebellar vermis, and cyst formation at the skull base. Symptoms include delayed motor development, rapidly enlarging head circumference, and signs of increased intracranial pressure, such as vomiting, headaches, and problems with balance and coordination. Treatment is surgical with decompression of the posterior fossa and possible shunt placement. And like you said, Dandy Walker, it just looks like there's this fluid, additional fluid filled space in the brain. Yeah. If you and want I to. remember <laughs> like a Johnny Walker. That's what I remember. Oh, very good. <laughs> I think Johnny fluid. Walker is a is a fluid. It's a whiskey, <laughs> and basically you expect to see like someone pour some uh, fluid in there. A um, lot of fluid. Okay. All right, buddy. See you tomorrow. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphne and I via email by sending your messages to nickupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.